Oh, welcome everyone. Today I'm here with Josh Canellis, who is the sales manager at uh, Wisebury Peninsula in Yomina, New South Wales, Australia. G'day Josh, how are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you Thomas? Good morning. Excellent mate, thanks for being here. Um, I just wanted to um, share with our listeners maybe some of the input about you. I think there's something in you that is magic. So let's start first with a little bit about you. Can you just tell us a little bit about you? Sure, so born and bred in Kilcare on the Central Coast in New South Wales. Uh, grew up around the beach with an older brother, older sister, mum and dad. Right. Uh, spent a lot of life, younger life, playing sport, all that sort of thing. And, and what's, just what, what's kind of sport? Uh, rugby league, touch football, all that sort of stuff. Okay. So surfing, beach. Mm-hmm. So yeah, from there, went. We, it's quite a quiet community in Kilcare, so we're a bit sheltered over that way. Uh, back then as well, we sort of only had uh, limited transport around the area, so yeah, we just spent a lot of the time at the beach doing that sort of stuff. And then went to high school, followed my brother and sister over to Woi Woi High, uh, finished school, worked a little bit in Sydney with P&O's, sort of contracting with a, a company down there for a little while. Uh, and then I actually... What were you doing there? Uh, it was just basically guest services and things like that. Right. And uh, wanted to eventually go on the cruise ships and, and thought that that was something that I, I would like to do, but it didn't go down that path. Right. Uh, and then spent a bit of time travelling. Uh, and then I spent seven years as a hydraulic estimator in, in commercial plumbing. So doing high-rise buildings, so, you know, all that sort of thing. In plumbing? Uh, yeah. So are you a qualified plumber, yeah? No, no. So I actually learnt, it was, it was funny, my boss at the time, it was an opportunity that just presented itself. And I basically learned everything from scratch without doing my trade. Uh, wow. I was a purchasing manager for the company as well and did that for around about seven years between that company and one other uh, and then decided that uh, always had an interest in real estate. Had an opportunity in real estate uh, that I got offered when I was around about 20. Didn't take it up and uh, came back to it at around about sort of 30 years old. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, here we are today. Okay, so... Just tell me, uh, how, how, was, how did you find the process of getting, into, of getting the job with uh, yep. your, your leader, Rod and Troy? Correct. So it was quite funny. At the time, I was going through a bit of a, a rough stage in my life with uh, a family member being quite unwell. So I was a bit unhappy in, in life overall and needed to change seven years in that same sort of job and decided real estate I'd always had an interest in. Saw an ad uh, for uh, Gosford Coastal Wisebury. Yep. Uh, and I actually... Knew a friend of mine that uh, actually runs Peninsula Office, uh, who was uh, my rep footy coach when I was younger. Uh, I thought I'd message him and say, look, what are they looking for up at Gosford? And uh, lo and behold, he messaged me back fairly quickly and he said, mate, we're actually thinking about hiring. Do you want to come in for a chat? I'll get back to you shortly. So are you saying that he wasn't even looking for guys? Like He wasn't even scouting you? <laughs> Correct. He... Uh, he basically rang me. So he got lucky. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess so. Right, I see. <laughs> so, but uh, look, he, he sort of had a chat to me and he said, look, I've always thought that you would be good in real estate and, yeah. and we're always looking for good people and come in and have a chat. And uh, I went in about uh, a week later and had a chat and was offered the opportunity to join the team there at Peninsula. Okay, now let's go a little bit into this because Rod and Troy, they usually take a long time before they find someone. So there has to be a reason for them to just grab you, you know, within a few days. What do you think that is? Look, I think Rod and I had, uh, we'd known each other for quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, Rod also knows my older brother fairly well. So we'd had some good conversations over the years. And I guess looking back at it now that I'm in the industry, I 
if you are in a position where you can look for talent anywhere, whether you go into Harvey Norman, whether you go to uh, any sort of sales store, you can find people that you think might be good or suited at the industry. Uh, I think that he knows that we probably have had some good conversations, we know a good group of people, so he probably thought the opportunity was good and, and he did say that he actually thought I'd be, in good, I'd be good in real estate. Uh, he said that a number of times mm -hmm. uh, during mm -hmm. that process and, and getting Troy's go-ahead, I guess, from there as well. So mainly he knew your makeup, your character, way before um, he even proposed you to come to his job, uh, to his work. And, and, so. I, and I think he knew basically that my brother and I share similarities. We are both people uh, who are hardworking. We come from a hardworking family. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that uh, probably went down the lines of similar to how Rod is with his family uh, and similar to, to how Rod and Troy run their business as well. So I think the similarities there were probably things that were quite attractive from that point. Okay. We're going to talk about the hard work a, a bit later on, okay? Yeah. But right now, I just want to mention something. Uh, you did the recruit training. Yes. Um, what was the hardest part in recruit training? The hardest part for me in recruit training was probably the situation that I was going through at the time. Yes. Um, which you want to uh, share with us? You don't want to have? You don't? You don't yeah, have look, to if you don't want to. No, look, uh, I'm happy to share it. Unfortunately, uh, I was uh, told during that time my mum was quite ill. She had an ongoing illness for a long time. Uh, although we didn't think it was going to get to that stage. Yeah. Um, I was told that she only had a couple of days to live. Uh, I was going through the recruit training course at that time. Uh, which, which kept you here, which kept you here from nine to five. Correct, yep. which I didn't let you in on. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I didn't actually let anybody in on. I sort of just had a chat with my family once I'd finished up. So yeah, look, it was, it was difficult. Um, I think if I look at it though, my mum wouldn't have wanted me to be sitting there just watching. She was, the funny thing about this is that I obviously started about a month before I, I did the recruit training. Yes. And we had business cards made up and while my mum my was actually in hospital, she was actually handing out the cards to everyone and she was so <laughs> proud of the fact that I'd started this new opportunity and wow. I think she realised I was a bit flat in life before that and, and she saw this as, a, as an opportunity. So for me that resonated pretty strongly uh, within me getting into this and, and making sure I had a real good go at it. So you went through the whole three days Yes. and you actually never mentioned a word to me. I only found it out afterwards. So some, somewhere, what is it? I understand you, the commitment to uh, do your job, the commitment to fulfill your duty somehow was even beyond the fact that maybe you should have been by her side. Yeah. Uh, can I just ask you this, is this normal, man? Well, I don't think it would be normal across everybody, yep. but I think if I look at what my mum would have wanted, she, she's not the sort of person, she, she's a soldier. She was sick for a long time, and she would always have a smile on her face and say that there's someone worse off out there. And literally, there probably wasn't anybody worse off, and, and I took a lot of lesson from that literally to the point where she used to go to her specialist and smile and say that she was okay. And they said, no, obviously you're in pain. She said, oh, look, there's always someone worse off. Until one specialist actually said to her, die, uh, which was my mum's name, Diane, die. Uh, look, there really isn't anybody worse off. You're in a lot of pain. You need to, to tell us what's going on. But she'd always smile and go on. So I think I got that ability from her. 
Okay, so she was the instigator of the the hard work into you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I look, Dad was certainly a hard worker as well. Um, but uh, Mum, just to see her go through those sorts of things, and and you know, you see it with a lot of people. Everybody has their own issues within their own life, and they believe that those issues are the biggest. She never made her issues the biggest, and that was something very unique about her. Uh, and to try and take that on and, and put things in perspective and and try and put your problems last is is a difficult thing to do and I think not many people could do that right. Yeah. But it does allow you to sort of push on and, and that's where I got that strength from for sure. So you started in real estate how many years ago now? Now four. Four years ago. Yeah. So how was it like at the beginning? Yeah, look, it was, uh, it was a grind. I mean, obviously I had that uh, mum did pass away on the third day of that recruit course or she, uh, I was told she only had basically a couple of days. So she live. died during recruit training? Well, she died two days, uh, it was two or three days afterwards. So I was told right. that she went in, the day that I left here on the third day, I was told that she moved to palliative care yep. uh, after we thought that she was actually gonna come home. Right. Um, and yeah, just uh, basically from there, we, we waited it out. But uh, from the start, I knew that uh, going back to that side of things where she was quite excited for me, uh, and even initial chat that I had with Rod and Troy in the office, and one of the chats that I had with uh, with Rod alone as a mate, I said, I don't want to come into this industry and be mediocre. I said, I can go and work hard at any job and make it. I know I can do that. I have the ability to do that. I can do anything I want to do. So if I'm going to be mediocre, I want you to tap me on the shoulder and tell me to move on. So I knew from the get-go that I wasn't going to fail. It was just about what level I could get myself to. And I, of course, I'm still growing at the moment. but. Wait, wait, wait. You're going too fast. Yep. Where is that coming from? Because, I mean, a lot of people, they go to work and sometimes they even want the assurance that they're going to have a, a high position very soon or they're going to get an assistant so that they don't have to do the prospecting for the rest of their life. Where is that coming from that you're the one saying to your leader, listen, tap on my shoulder if I'm not pulling my way? Yeah, I, I think that for me, I'm quite a proud person. I don't want to do something where I'm mediocre. I want to be at the top of my game so people do respect. I want to be good at what I do. I take a lot of things on board. Uh, I learn every day. It's interesting to think four years in that you still learn and that you're still learning about people and personalities and creating connections. All of those sorts of things are so important. Uh, but you have to have that motivation within yourself to say, I want to be better. And, and I had that, I was at that stage of my life where I, I felt like I was a bit flat and I wasn't growing and I had some opportunities in my other job that were supposed to present themselves at a certain time and they didn't happen and it was time to move on and, and I didn't want that same scenario occurring because you know, I'm at a, at a stage in my life where career is very important uh, and basically setting myself up for whatever the future may hold, it was really important that I wasn't just gonna be the average Joe. Right, I see. So tell us about a day in um, Josh's career. So uh, I usually wake up around about 5.30, 6 o'clock, get up and do a little bit of exercise, whether that means just going for a walk, listening to some music. It basically sets up my mindset for the day, mm -hmm. puts me in a positive frame of mind. Um, during that time, I do have a little bit of a think about, because the, the night before I had planned for what my next day holds. Right. I think it's very, very important to, to have some goals for the next day, but also have your forecast. If you get to work and you're only just planning the day, and I get in there fairly early, around about probably 7, 7.30. If you're getting to work and only just planning that day, I find that sometimes you can spin wheels for a lot of the time. So you don't even, hold on, hold on. So you don't go to work at 7.30 and start the planning. It's already done before yes. you 
start the day. Yeah, so I'll have a very good idea the night before of what I've got on for the next day. Okay. Uh, that'd be checking my diary, that'd be writing things down in, in my diary. I'm very, uh, again, very similar in Rod's relation. I'm system orientated, I write things down, I put it in my diary, I look at my task list, I have all of that sorted so that I'm not just, uh, I'm at work and I've got a team that's under me, so I do get interrupted every now and then. So I need to have that ability to know where I'm heading and not be distracted. Because if I don't get my work done, I can't lead from the front, which means, yes, I could have a successful team and getting them all the base, but at the same time, I need to perform so that they respect what I do. Okay, so you're there at 7.30. Yep. Um, what's next? So I basically start going through where the results are going to come from, make sure that I've got a plan in place. Uh, I'm a big believer of if you can get results every day, then obviously you're going to be in a position where you're successful and you're making money. And uh, not only that, but results create more results as well. Right. Uh, and again, with the team that we've got that's growing, I think it's very important to show them how to do that because a lot of people do come into real estate and they have this understanding that it's going to be easy and that it's a bit of a glamorous career and we show houses and we just sell houses. There's a lot of work that goes in behind Yeah, but that's, that's now today as you being a manager, but let's start yeah. when you were a salesperson. What yes. were you doing then? All right, <coughs> so I would be working out where I would be calling, starting with a prospect list. Uh, I used to hit the phones. I'm pretty, I was, I was lucky. I've got good phone manner. I can create connection on the phone. So I was quite successful in yep. the phone prospecting side of things but I would work out where I would be calling, calling off the back of whether it be a sale that's just happened in someone's street, whether it be uh, the fact that we've just listed a property or even just cold calling the street and getting a bit of an idea if anyone's selling. Right. So that would be a block time from anywhere. We've got training from 8.30 to 9.30, so it would be 9.30 to at least 12. Training, 8.30 to 9.30 every day? Yes. Okay. Well, Except Wednesdays, which is sales meeting. Yeah, so what, what, back in those days, as a salesperson, wouldn't you be thinking at some stage, hold on, why do we train again on the same thing? Yeah, look, I, I, think, uh, I think I had that belief at 30 years old, thinking, well, what do I need to train for? You know, I'm 30 years old, I wanna be, I wanna be successful, I wanna do things, but yep. uh, it was ingrained in me that it was important and now I'm a massive believer of it. It starts your day in a positive manner. Uh, and I don't believe anybody out there, you know, I challenge the best people in the industry, if they're still not learning, then I don't believe they can sit at the top forever. It's the same as you know tennis or any sport. You can't sit at the top forever by just doing the same thing over and over again. Technology changes around you or, or people's games change around you. Real estate is exactly the same. Right. Things are changing around you all the time. Right, and so you prospect after that yes. for about uh, two hours? Yeah, two, two and a half hours yep. for block time. Yep. Um, and then from there, I would be looking at potentially hitting the buyer's list. Yes. And creating some appointments. Uh, hopefully I would already have appointments booked for listing appointments at that time as well. Uh, and usually they would be for the afternoon. So anywhere from 12.30 on to around about 3.30, some people obviously later. Yep. Um, but we have a big time in there for uh, buyers in the afternoon as well. Uh, so that could be say from 4.30 to 5.30 or 5 to 6. Yep. Uh, and also some letterbox dropping and stuff like that, which you normally do sort of towards okay. the end of the day. Okay. Ma'am, I'm very sorry, mate. There's a little bit of noise happening around here, no, but, it's okay. but it's it's actually uh, not so bad. It's <coughs> fine. Just like going to a listening appointment with kids in the background. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so what's the rest of the day then? We're now 3.30. What else do you do? 3.30, so it would be generally 4 o'clock, hit the buyers list again, try and create those appointments, set up your Saturday, whether that be Monday, Tuesday, you're trying to set up as many appointments as possible, but mm -hmm. also get appointments for the week, for during the week. 
setting up open homes, those sorts of things. Uh, and then in the afternoon, we would be basically going out and doing so. I can I would ring buyers up until around about seven o'clock. Right. Um, but I think your vendors, any prospects, you're probably stopping around sort of 5.30, 6 p.m. because yep. people are getting people kids ready for, for bed and so forth and dinner. So uh, again, that would be the main afternoon uh, and fitting in those appointments in between. We, uh, we try and run off the back as having at least a couple of appointments a day. More people you're in front of, obviously, the more chance that a you have A couple of, of appointments like with So listing buys? appointments, okay. buyer appointments, uh, whichever you can get. Obviously, listing appointments are a little bit longer. Um, obviously, you've got to have that mindset as well that there's a lot of agents that I find are going out just to market appraisals a lot of the time. Yep. Uh, and I think we've even seen recently with a few of our guys in the office, they go out, they're thinking it's a market appraisal, don't take any listing agreements, yep. and they just say, oh, it was just an update, finding out that someone is in a position where they're ready to sell. Uh, so always having that mindset that it's a listing appointment, no matter yeah. what you do. So, uh, so what you're trying to say is, and I mean, that, that is something that's been ingrained to you, that yes. we don't do market appraisal. No. Right? Yeah, we yeah, only yeah. do listing appointments. So the choice of vocabulary is very important. Absolutely. Because they, they, they really set your mindset, right? Well, it, it was funny. It's actually, it comes back to the training course. You told me that point blank in the training course that we don't do market appraisals. It is listing appointments because you don't know what's going to happen. Things can change like that. Yeah. So, and that's where it was ingrained for me from, okay. from that very get-go. Now, I hear that quite often... If we were to drive in, in front of your, past your office um, at 10, 10.30, you're still there. So, so what do you do? Because you, you can't have listing appointments uh, <laughs> around 5, 6, 7 yeah. and, and still be in the office. I mean, normally most people, like right after the listing appointment, they've gone home. Yeah, look, I find that even when I was just a salesperson, you've got emails that you need to do. There's all the little incidentals that pop up in real estate that they are time-consuming. Right. If you don't put a time and place in there to handle those and you do it as they pop up, you will basically spin wheels for most of the day. So for me, it was it was getting back to non-important emails or things that just needed to be dealt with or dealing with day-to-day things as a salesperson, dealing with uh, it may be just small changes that need to happen to your listings or your current stock. All of those sorts of things are quite important in that side of things as well. So. I think it's it's really important that you decide on the spot when those things pop up, whether you can deal with them after hours. For me, it's something that I deal with after hours. I don't have a family, uh, so I don't have kids that I have to be home to or a wife that I have to be home to. So for me, work was, was very much important in that building stage, even though I am in still the building stage because I, I do want to get bigger and better. It is, it's important for me to benchmark those to a certain time that isn't interrupting my productivity between that sort of 8.30 and 6 p.m. All right, <laughs> to um, maybe some of our uh, listeners uh, didn't pay attention here, but so you're saying you're single? Yes. All right, here, here we have Josh Canelish, a rich single down in your minor. <laughs> Kill <Kilke. laughs> So it would be quite usual for you to leave the office around 10, 10.30. It, look, it's, it's certainly not every day, but if I need to be there at that time, I'll be there to that time. Uh, sometimes I might even go home at 7 o'clock at night and then finish work. I'll have dinner and I'll finish work on the iPad and, and still continue to working. I'm the sort of person that's constantly ticking. I'm constantly moving about. So I literally, uh, I have to 
continue to do things, otherwise I go a little bit crazy. So uh, it's it's not uncommon for me to work work late hours, but I still think it's very important to have time for yourself as well. Then what happened? You became a manager. I mean, yes. how did that happen? Uh, look, I, I think fairly early on, Rod and Troy were, were sort of grooming me for the manager's position. Uh, there were a couple of occasions where I said no um, and wanted to focus on the fact that I was still early on in in my career in real estate and still figuring out do I want to help other people at that time or do I want to focus on myself for the time being. So it did probably take me, uh, I was offered the position fairly early on but it probably took me around about a year and a half, two years to, to accept it and say yeah I, I'm in a position where I'm comfortable that I'm going to be still uh, a productive salesperson but I can help others at the same time. But also I wanted to make sure that uh, the experience was there. And look, there's no right or wrong time. It's the same as anything in life that is quite large. There's no right or wrong time to become a sales manager. But for me, I wanted to make sure that I was respected as a sales manager and not just someone that was put there because I was doing good numbers. Right. There's a big difference between a good salesperson and a good sales manager. Okay. Uh, and again, that comes back to a lot of training, it comes back to mindset. Uh, I also used to believe that uh, which I was a bit half harsh on some of my sales people thinking that they're like me. Not everyone's like me. Not everybody no. wants to to work uh, the certain hours that we do. And you know, it's. I th think the biggest thing I've probably learned over the last twelve months is that everybody is different, and I need to find the strong in them, the good things about them, and embellish those so that they can be the good salespeople on their own, on their own merit. Um, because not everybody is the same. We all have our different personality traits. We all have our strong points. Uh, and some people aren't as dedicated and can't sit there for as long as I can. Uh, but some people might, might even be more productive and get it done in a shorter time. If you can be at work for eight hours a day, nine hours a day, be productive, get your results. You don't have to be there any longer than that. Um, so that's where you need to find the good in, in everyone. But I had a, a big, uh, I guess, a couple of lessons just in relation to thinking everyone would be like me and then realising that I was, I was butting my head against a brick wall and. Uh, it, it's changed. It's good. Do you want to share with us? Yeah. Look, I think I just saw saw a couple of people come and go from from real estate, and, and not to say that they probably found the industry for them. I think it, it was it was something that family drew them away from it, or even they moved back into state to to where they were living previously. But I was trying to drill into them the fact that you know the hard work, the numbers, this, that, and the other. Which no matter what, the hard work will get you there. The numbers in real estate is essential in order to, to getting more leads, more listings, creating yourself from no one to someone who's got a profile. Uh, but I think uh, trying to put on them the fact that I would do things on my days off when I first started or, or even just having that belief that they should be doing things late at night, uh, it, it's, it's not something that should be generic. It's a case-by-case -case basis. Some people have strong beliefs about family time and, and that needs to be respected as well. But as long as, if, you, if you're going to go home at 5.30, then I want to know that 8.30 to 5.30 is productive and that you're doing your job and you're not spending three hours of distractions because we're in a very competitive industry. Uh, and I think now we've built a fantastic team at Peninsula. We've got people in there that are like-minded, that actually care. Uh, and I see a lot of other agencies around that probably just have people that are salespeople and it is a little bit, you know, transactional and just, just selling and listing and, and it is what it is. But we've got a group of people in there that really care, not only about 
their clients, but also about one another and would have each other's back. Uh, and that's why we are so successful. Uh, but it was a big lesson to me to, to realise that not everyone is the same and I'll continue to take that lesson with me for a long time. Right. Listen, some people uh, are going to ask me, you can't ask a dude who's single, who's got no family, really to manage people who have family. What would you say to that? Look, it's a, it's a very good point. Uh, you know, I do have three nieces. My sister's got two two smaller children. Uh, my brother's got a, a newborn, well, around about 14 months old. And I, th I think realistically, uh, this is why I didn't take on the sales manager job. I was the youngest in the office and I still am the youngest in the office. But I've learnt so much over the last four years, not only about myself, but about people's circumstances. and. Everyone wakes up in the morning with their own set of problems and each is unique to themselves. And what could be a big problem even in your life, Thomas, might be mediocre or very small in mine. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, as a manager, I have to have respect for that. Uh, and children, of course, is, is not a small problem in any case. If you've got a problem with your family, then that's your biggest. Uh, family comes first. As much as you know, I do live and breathe work, at the end of the day, family comes first. There's no doubt about that. So I've learned a lot over the last four years in, in relation to even watching Rod with his family, uh, Troy with his, they both have four kids. Uh, so it, it's, it's a respectful one. I don't think that it's my place usually to step in where people's kids are involved. Uh, but at the end of the day, I have a very open relationship with my staff as well. You know, some of them even come to me for advice with that sort of thing. But it's, it's something that, that I respect. And at the end of the day, I think if you can't allow people to have time with their family, and, and we're quite flexible in our office, if people are putting in, then there should be no reason why they can't go and watch their kid play sport down the road for half an hour or an hour or whatever it may be, or shoot away one day. We're, we're quite flexible in that way. I think work-life balance is very important, but family comes at the top of that food chain. Mm. Now, something that that audience don't understand is that you also have a uh, life challenge, right? Uh, your own personal health. Mm. Now, here we see a guy who a lot of people are going to say, well, he's got no family. It's easy for him to be successful. He only has to, uh, himself to worry about. But uh, you have that's something else. Do you want to talk about it? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I was diagnosed uh, around about seven and a half years ago with type 1 diabetes after I broke my shoulder mountain biking. It was a bit of a, a freak uh, accident. Uh, my mum was actually still around at that time. Uh, and funnily enough, uh, mum was very intuitive. And I think with her having uh, a disease that was not very well known about uh, when, when she was diagnosed with it, she must have spotted that something was not right or, or worried about something. And she said, I, I want you to go and get some blood tests. Uh, and lo and behold, I went and got blood tests and the doctor said at the time, well, you're young and fit, is there any reason why this, is, this has come up? And I said, no, just something my mum sent me to do at pretty much 28 years of old, years of age. And uh, yeah, basically it came back after about three months worth of testing that I, I had type one diabetes. Um, I didn't really feel sick at the time or anything like that. Went through uh, the education centre and, and the process and they basically said to me, uh, you know, you need to start insulin and, and start medicating. And uh, even when I walked through the door there, they said, oh, you don't look sick, do you feel sick? I said, no. And, uh, basically, I, 
I sort of took their knowledge on board, but I knew that by doing the, the diets that they were suggesting for me to do uh, and starting insulin, it was something that I could never change. Um, so up until three months ago, I was actually non-medicated, which is very rare for a type one uh, diabetic. Um, is, is that the highest? That is, yes. Yeah. So type one is, is basically a hereditary and uh, usually people are on insulin basically from the time that they're diagnosed until the day they die. Uh, and, you know, realistically, it was something I, I knew a bit about nutrition and I used to stay fit and healthy. I, I had no idea to the length that, that I, you know, would, would find out in, in later months after research and looking at things online and, uh, and finding out a little bit about looking at forums and, and what was working in the diabetes world at that time. We are a little bit generic over here in Australia and, uh, and that's what I found out and, and I decided to basically change my lifestyle on a dime. Um, so I completely changed my diet, changed everything about my life, which was difficult, uh, but uh, it managed to keep me non-medicated up until, so I'm still not on mealtime insulin, which if there's any diabetics listening, they'll know is, is very rare. Uh, and uh, I've just started taking uh, an insulin at night, which is a long lasting, which uh, allows my fasting level to be lower in the mornings. Uh, in which case, over the weekend, I woke up a couple of times and it was very, very low, which is <laughs> strange. So it is something that I deal with day to day. So, so, so what, what do you do to deal with that? So look, it, it's, it's one of those things, and this is why I talk about people's challenges and recognising that everybody is different, even within our staff. It, I can wake up in the morning and my blood could be very high, uh, or it could be very low, like it was on the weekend. And for me, if it's high in the morning, that can change my mindset. So I could wake up positive and feel maybe okay, or feel a little flat, or yep. feel a little sick. Um, so I have to get my mindset right in order to go, well, I still need to go to work. It's, there's no option. It's, it is what it so, is. So, so there are days when you wake up where naturally you just don't feel like getting out of bed. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt. You so, still get out of bed. Yeah. That's not possible. There's no option. It so, is. So, so tell us that thing that you do because, I mean, I don't have diabetes and there are days when I don't feel like getting out of bed. I mean. Yeah. I guess, again, it comes back to yourself. You, if you, I could, uh, it's funny. Uh, I think I told you when we were coming back from the conference, I read, read the book, The Secret, The Law of Attraction. It, I, I probably have lived my life a little bit like that before even reading that book, is that if, if you feel unwell and you're gonna focus on being unwell, you're gonna feel worse by the end of the day if you continue to focus on the fact that you feel sick. So my motto with that is if I feel sick in the morning and my blood is high, then I need to get up and I need to go and do some exercise and I need to get out there. And generally what will happen is even if it doesn't lower my blood, which most cases it does, but up until recently it doesn't make too much of a difference, it will fix my mindset to make me positive. So that when I get in the car and I go, okay, you know what, I've been for a nice walk. I, walk in, I work in a, uh, a nice area. I live in a beautiful area near the beach, near the water. That for me, walking around with music is my positive start. So that can change my mindset. But you do have to make that step. It's like people getting up out of bed to go, go to the gym at 4.30 in the morning. I respect people who do that. It's, it's just something that's ingrained in them and that's what yeah. I do. Yeah. So. To make it clear, you're not saying that you're doing something magic. You, you, what you're saying is that you don't feel like getting out of bed, but at least you're doing something about it. 
Correct. Yeah. Right. That's and sometimes it does change your mindset dramatically. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. But yeah. at least you're committed to taking that action. Correct. Right? And look, there'll be days in the office where I come in and I'm probably a bit cranky, and that's. You know, that's part and parcel. I think everybody has those days anyway, but I try and limit that as much as possible. But it is a challenge. There's no doubt about it that it plays a major card in my life because it does change the way that I feel physically. Um, and when you think about the fact that you do have a disease that is non-curable and something you have to deal with, and it, and it really is a, a, a manageable disease if you're proactive about it. If you're disciplined enough to to eat the right things, and it may not always help you, but it will make it better. It's it's not it's not going to cure it. It's not going to take it away forever. Yep. But it, it will be the difference between you feeling better that day or not feeling better, and, and having yourself at the best possible way. Okay. So uh, does it mean that? Um uh, even at the office, you have special food and special drinks. I mean, you, I, I see, you, you drink, what kind of beer again? Uh, so, Big Head beer, it's a Burley Heads uh, beer, which is actually the uh, only no-carb beer in Australia. And oh, right. uh, it's, uh, it's very good. My, what, brother, my brother tends to think that I look like the potato head on the front of their box, but I tend to disagree. What about the other <laughs> alcohol, wine and things like this? No, look, really so there, there is a sugar-free wine out there, but generally anything with sugar I stay away from. Uh, no mixes with sugar. Uh, generally it'll either be pure blonde, burly heads, uh, which is the big head beer, or vodka lime and soda. That's, that's all I'll really drink. Uh, I don't drink as much as I used to, um, as you know. From experience, I do drink a lot when I want to, uh, but, but uh, I don't remember. But my swimming pool does. <laughs> uh, but uh, look, it's it's something that I have uh, also adapted to. So, so at work, how does it work then? Because it's a long day. How how do you manage that? Did you you can't be doing ten thirty without your energy at some stage really uh, plummeting? Yeah, I'm quite lucky. Uh, I seem to. Uh, I don't have many days where I don't have a lot of energy. Uh, you know, I can still be good to go at, at eight, nine o'clock at night. It's it's quite good. I do need to make sure that I eat at certain times. Uh, it's a big part of that diabetes side, and anybody listening with diabetes would know that. Um, the big difference between me and them is I'm not injecting insulin at meal time at this stage. So uh, they would probably even have to be more disciplined than me. But I make sure that I eat. Uh, and I eat fairly healthy food. Uh, and uh, sometimes my time frames are maybe not great. I have lunch at sort of two or three o'clock or something like that, or, or dinner a bit late, which is probably not the best thing for the diabetes side, but uh, I still make sure that I eat and I still make sure I get done what I need to get done. <laughs> now, that is the magic that I think you have, you know, the, the ability to perform at really high level the ability to have that work ethics and the set of values that you have, and then on top of that, deal with your own uh, predicament. Now, what what do you think of your leaders? Yeah, look, uh, I, I know that Rod is in the room right now. He's listening, but um, yeah, we won't. Say let's we pretend he's not that, around. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I know, I know it's not bad because I know you, you, you're, you're the kind of guy that still find goodness in, in, in a lot of people. But what are the good things that you have learned from your leaders? Well, I knew Rod at a very different time. He's, he's changed them mentally. Uh, and, and I know a lot of that has, has been to do with what we go through with, with Wisebury. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, to see him go from a very, 
young, fit football player that was, uh, look, his nickname was Rowdy. Uh, you know, for, to go from, from that to the man he is today, it's, it's almost like two different people. Uh, for me, I always ask Rod quite a lot of questions just to just say, you know, why, why have things changed? And, and, you know, he's got kids now that are the same age that he was uh, when he started training me in rep football. And it, it, he's just grown immensely. And I think that Rod is a, a very logical person. The way that he sees things and the way he explains things is, is very logical. He's a very street smart guy. He's just he can explain things to a T, and they make sense. And you go, yeah, I can understand why you do that. So I listen to him a lot. Troy is is very different. Troy is, I mean, Rod's a, a great salesperson. That's what Troy is. He's very good as well at the training side and and having that implementation into the office. So he's the one that cares a lot about people and and looks after them, make sure that they're there. He's got a very, very high level of care. Yeah, he's uh, mother know. hen in the office, isn't Absolutely. he? Absolutely. So Rod's the father, Troy's the mother. Yeah. Uh, it's an ongoing joke in the office about <laughs> that there, but Troy will be mortified to hear that, but it's true, he knows it. Uh, but it, look, it, it's, it works very well. You've got to have, I believe, you've got to have those two different style of people, and that's why it works so well. If that were similar, it would probably be a lot different and we would learn a lot less in the office. Uh, but they're, they're a group that I enjoy working for uh, and they're also good friends and, and that's the thing. They will be there to no end to, to help and I think that's something that I've learnt over the last four years is that you know I, will get, I would help people a lot more now than I probably would have when I first started in real estate. I was right. a bit, I've always been an independent person and I've always probably in some ways been a bit selfish but uh, I'm changing that and I want to change that more. There's something in you that over the last 12 to 18 months has taken you to a very steep course of learning and learning about your own self. You know, I, as I said quite a few times, the growth in a person is made of three things. They have to grow in the skill set. Skill set, whether it is at their job, skill set, whether it is at being a spouse, at being a father, it's still a skill set. Then there is the mindset. You know, sometimes the mindset, yes, half maybe is your makeup, your hardware, if you will. But the other half is your software. What is it that you read? What is it that you study in order to make that mindset stronger? But then there's a, a self. And I think that, I believe that if you go for the self, uh, it actually accelerates the growth of the first S and M, so the skill and the mindset. And something in you over the last 18 months has skyrocketed. What do you think that is? I think when I look back at things, you, you, I know, as I said, when I started in real estate, I would have expected a tap on the shoulder if I was going to be mediocre. And I probably could have gone through my career in being a bit selfish and switched off and, and decided that I don't need to learn anything. I can, I can do this if I need to do it. What I've realised is that if I want to be a better person, which I do, and I want to be a better leader, a better agent, a better, just better overall in life, I know so little and going to the conferences and learning a lot about the mind and about personalities and about people and just there's so little that I know about that out there and now I've started to take that information on board and it's almost opened a Pandora's box. It's basically there's so much information out there now that I want to learn about things that that puts me in a position where I just want to absorb it all and, and it and at the same time, I still don't want to let go of the fact that I, I, I want to be successful. So I've got to push that side, but I'm learning so much more around me, which is, I think it's creating just a better overall person and, and well-rounding me 
Yeah. Um, whereas before I didn't have any of that information, I wouldn't have known anything about self uh, or about mindset or uh, you know just people in general. And and we're in an industry where self is very important because you can get chewed up in this industry very quickly. People can contact you 24-7. If you don't know about self, you will burn yourself out and this industry will be rid of you and someone will be there to replace you the next day. Mm. So I've, I've gotten to a stage where the last probably 18 months, as you say, has put me in a position where I just want to absorb all of this information and get to a stage where we do things really well and, and I do things as a person. I want to better the situations in my life. It's funny, real, a lot of people wouldn't understand this if, if they're maybe not in the industry, but you can learn a lot about life in real estate that will help you with your family life even. Uh, and, and that's what I've found as well is that everything that we, we learn from our training or even from our conferences, it's helping better my life, not just me as an agent. And, and that's, that's a big thing that, that I want to grasp and, and continue to grow on. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I always, uh, I've said many times to people, I don't gauge a person's success by what they do at work. Because no flower could actually gauge themselves on, and on the quality of what the flower is by focusing on one petal. As a flower, you have to make sure you devote all your energy on every petal at the same time so that they grow. Every asset aspect of your life has to grow at the same time. Yeah. And, and I think that that is the growth of selves. And I, I can see it. You can, you can have fun like an, an animal. You can work like a ferocious animal. And then I've noticed now you can really give like an animal. And, and I think that that's going to make you an all-rounded person. I mean, anyone who's going to be dating you soon is going to be amazingly lucky because back in about four four years ago when I first met you, there was just that guy that only wanted to look at what's in it for me. And it, it has changed tremendously. I, I think that you have embraced a lot of what your leaders have done, but somewhere it has to have the click. And I think that somewhere the click has to have come from your own leaders. To move someone from a selfish to a selfless position. It's a big position. Um, there is a huge uh, change of values, if you will, or sometimes it does also happen because you have a traumatic event, something quite tragic that just um, bombard your values, if you will, shake them down to the ground and you have to rebuild all those values, you know? Yeah. So I am interested because not everyone has to go through something tragic <laughs> in yeah. order to rebuild everything. Uh, I mean, I don't believe in rewiring, so it's very different, but rebuilding things. So what could you uh, pinpoint uh, maybe some of the things or maybe something that you've noticed through the leadership within your office that made you want to release selfishness for selflessness? Yeah, look, I think one of the big trigger points for me was when uh, Rod was going through the Bobby Joe situation where she was, she was very very sick and needed an operation and, and you know, it, it was probably a close call about whether she would actually come out of that operation or not. It was, yeah, it was quite a big thing. It was last year, yeah. It was. And, uh, you know, for me to see uh, a guy that felt guilty for being away from work while one of his children was, was in a hospital bed in which he didn't see his wife, basically didn't sleep next to her for three or four months. 
Six uh, months. Yeah, it was it was a, a long time. Yeah, and to to have that, but then have a guy who was probably number two, number three in the office with the quarter that he produced. That for me shows that there's a different level of of respect and care out there for other people around him, whilst he's going through one of the most traumatic events in his life. There's not many people that could do that, but it did teach me that. And, and this is why I don't talk about my situation when we first started with, you know, and why I didn't tell you. I mean, I've always been that way, but I don't tell everyone that I'm, I'm unwell because everyone has their own problems. What are my problems to someone else's life? It doesn't matter. So, but the respect that he shows within our office and, and the care and for feeling guilty for, oh, I'm going to be down the hospital for half a day. I don't care, mate. Do what you need to do. That that for me is is things that that have changed my outlook on life, mm. and it's not something you can really comprehend until you see someone in that position still do those things. Now you you mentioned the word conference a few times. Like, you know, I I always like a leadership conference really to be more on one of the three SMS, either skill or mindset or self. But as you noticed lately, and how many have you done now? Uh, uh, three. Three of them. Yeah. And um, the the first one, I'm sure it was a waste of your time because you might not have been ready, but I still remember. <laughs> and your leader actually said the same thing about the, the next person that he brought along, uh, is that when I asked Rod, what, what if the person is not ready? What are you doing? You're wasting a lot of money. We're taking people overseas. They, they're in five-star hotels. There's plane tickets. There's a lot of things. And his comeback was, even if he got nothing out of it, Thomas, just being around there, being around the spirit of the people, and, and that will hopefully get him something. And to me, it was a beautiful thing because it was the same thing he just said uh, about Anthony. And... There's no expectation. And, and so the first one was there. But as you notice, there's more about just on self. Because I think that self is an accelerant, accelerator. It's an agent. If, if you fix self, you don't have to fix the other aspect of leadership. Yeah. It, it's, it's very interesting. Rod and I have a lot of, uh, of in-depth conversations. And I think we're of the same belief. belief. We, we're having a lot of amazing people in our network. Uh, and to just be around those people and see some of the thing. I had a conversation with Sam when we were over in, uh, in Fiji. Just to hear what that guy does in a day, it's inspiring. And I had Anthony actually sitting next to me at that time. And, you know, he does everything himself. Uh, you know, and, and then that starts to put into perspective, well, okay, we don't have a bench here, or we don't have this, or we don't have that. And you start to respect the fact that you're around these people that do everything themselves so only being and it comes back to that word association you're surrounding yourself with people that are winners you, you can only do one thing from there and inspire you to win I mean there wouldn't be many people out there that that would look at that as a negative and say well you, you know oh, okay he's doing everything he's doing too much himself it's inspiring to hear those sort of stories uh, I always one of the biggest things I've probably learned since since real estate is that I used to be probably a bit judgmental and and uh, I am a very upfront guy. I'm pretty filterless. Sometimes that gets me in trouble because I say things that maybe I shouldn't. Uh, but I've realized that I shouldn't judge people just on face value or maybe one thing that comes out of their mouth because if I do that and they could offer me just one bit of advice that could change my life or change my day-to-day -day life or change anything that's just a problem in my life, 
I'm the real loser out of that because I'm judging them based on one thing when really they could offer me something that could take me to new heights. Right. Uh, so it's actually a note that I've wrote in my phone recently. I was going to send it to you last week, but that's, you know, you become that real loser if you, if you judge someone and don't respect what they have to say because it could be the one thing that just gets you to where you need to be. Wow, that is amazing. What a one line for me. Listen, can I just ask you now to uh, step back and be a salesperson for a few seconds? What would be five tips that you would want to share with people who start in sales? Okay, the biggest thing for me is obviously mindset. Having a mindset of being hungry to win, wanting those results, uh, chasing those results as much as you possibly can. If you don't have the right mindset and you're worrying about what's happening at home, you're worrying about your health, and, and look, let's face it, we all have to have times where that happens, but if you have a mindset where you can focus when you're at work, you will win. If you're the sort of person that can can sit there and say, I went to work today and I worked my absolute best and I did the best that I could, you will get results because hard work pays off. It doesn't matter what you do. You might not be the best listener. You might not be the best seller. But if you've got those appointments there and you're doing it consistently, eventually the numbers are going to tick over. So mindset for me is the biggest thing. Start your day positive. Put yourself into a position where you know where your results are going to come from. Yep. And push for those and make it happen. Okay. That's number one. That's number one. Number two. Yep. Just general hard work. You know, and we, we, we talk about this so often. What is hard work? What I find so much, I'm in the generation myself where people believe that social media and everything, it's, it's the be all and end all. I see people coming into the industry and they say, I need a social media profile, I need to post on Instagram, I need to do this. It doesn't matter what you do. If you aren't doing the hard work and you're going to focus on social media, it isn't going to get you where you need to be. If you think that just social media is going to get you to new heights, without results, what are you posting on social media? It, it's not going to make a difference. So having, having that drive to want to work, and, and I see this even within my staff, I say to them, you, you have set this target for yourself. So if you don't reach this target, it comes back to you. I can mould you, I can help you, I can give you advice, but at the end of the day, if you don't have the will there to want to do it and want to actually achieve it for yourself, then nothing I say will make that any different. Yep. So hard work is, is, is one two. of the biggest things, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, number three, time management is so important. Uh, I've seen a lot of people come and go from our office that, that spin wheels and don't have a structure in their day. If you don't have that block time, if you don't have those appointments that you're trying to chase and get, if you don't have appointments even locked in for your Saturday, all of those sides of things. Real estate is one of those, you could be on the road and get 10, road and get 10 phone calls. You've got to have a system in place to make sure that you've got those numbers or you know that could be a listing lead, that could be a seller lead. If you're out driving, generally you, you don't have anything to write down so you either need to pull over and, and basically do that or get them to send you a text because what I find so much is that agents are focusing their time on the non-important, non-productive things. And you know if you're going out to do a letterbox drop, drop at, at sort of 1 to 2 p.m., why not do that before work? Why not do that after work? You know, those hours are productive. People are near their phones at that time because they're either at work or they're at home. 
why would you be out letter box dropping just to put something in the mailbox? Uh, you've got to be smart about your structure because if you do not have structure in your day, again, you cannot get to where you want to be. Number four? Number four, training. It's one of the things, again, I was sceptical about when I started, and I'll be honest about that. You were sceptical? You're a sport dude. Yeah, look, I, I think that... It, it what were you playing? Rugby, you said? Rugby league, yeah. yeah I was tired. So, so you went to high level? Yeah, we look, I just, so it ended fairly early for me. I snapped my ankle, but yeah. still playing Oztag at national level and, and state cup and things like that. So, yeah, and look, we do train two and three days a week for those tournaments. So why do you think that it's good for those guys and not good for the salespeople? I think it was I was a bit <laughs> naive, and it's, it's funny to look back at it and, and see that side. And... You know, I guess at that sort of age, you think, well, it's about sales. I'm in real estate and, and you yeah. know, I can go out and sell properties and list properties until you realise the deeper meaning. And I think one of the biggest things in my career that has allowed me to to get to where I am is the ability to adapt. But not only that, understanding the concept of what we're doing. And I think a lot of people go through the motions in real estate and they're very transactional. But do they understand that we're actually going out there to help people, that they're going to go and live their life or spend money on an investment, but mainly their family homes, they're going to live there for 10 to 15 years. That's quite a big thing. When We all feel safe within our own home. Mm-hmm. You're selling someone that, it's a big thing. So I think understanding the concepts of why we're going out to help people, what we're doing in the training side of things. It's so important to getting you to where you need to be. Without the training that I've got now, there's no way I could be at the level that I have gotcha. uh, have got to. There's no, so now you have no problem not. with repeating the same things over and over? Look, it's different for every single person. It's funny. You, and, and that's what you, you would almost think, well, a lot of people go to work in the same day, day in, day out. We're, we're very unique in real estate because we're dealing with people. As much as we're dealing with houses that are different, people's personalities are the most different. So you need to understand that person very quickly and know what's important to them. Hence the work in self is very important. Absolutely. Yeah. If you don't understand self, how do you understand someone else's yeah. self? So what's number five? Number five would be surrounding yourself with the right people. Association. Association. Having a mentor group that you speak to. Um, and again, don't get me wrong, uh, and I was only speaking to one of our colleagues recently uh, in a different state. I'm not sure if you know who that might be. And uh, basically, he, he sort of uh, was asking for help and that sort of thing. And I said, absolutely. Uh, more than happy to help. But I said, under one condition, that you're completely honest with me about what you do in your day and what you are going to do. And, and, and he said, yeah, because I uh, sort of found him going along the lines of embellishing. I said, you know, it's, it's not worth it. Don't waste my time with that side of things because if you're not being true to me, how am I going to help you? And it's, it was harsh. And he said, I completely respect where you're coming from. And, you know, it, it's a good thing. But don't just expect that because you're speaking to someone at a high level that you're going to copy what they do. You need to put your own systems in place. What works for me may not work for you as an agent because we're different people. So it, it's really, really important that you have a group of people that you can bounce ideas off, but still find the time to work hard in there and do it yourself because I, I don't believe that anybody is going to better themselves just by talking to the, the good people in the industry but not changing anything within themselves. Yeah. It's, it's funny you talk about the association. So what, what you're saying by the association, 
it's important for you to surround yourself with mentors. But that doesn't mean that you push away the people who may have to grow and learn from you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think if, if I can offer someone advice that is going to help them, and I truly believe it's going to help them, then I will. Yeah, but you it's, set the rules first. Absolutely. It's, yeah. I don't, uh, I work very long hours and I'm very disciplined in the way I do. Uh, I could work all day without speaking to another person. That's how I work. Rod and I are very similar in that way in our office, but yeah. I'm a sales manager, so I need to speak to people. But at the same time, I don't need interruptions unnecessarily for things that can wait. Uh, and it's the same with helping people from outside of the office. If they're not going to be honest with their situation, then what are you helping? You're helping a scenario that isn't even real. So it, it is very important to set the rules. And I know for yourself, you're very similar in that way. You offer help people, but if, if they're not gonna do as you say, uh, when they are asking for that help, then don't bother calling. Yeah, well, you know, you mellow with time. I've, I've mellowed. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> uh, I, I actually come back for more. I come back for more punishment because I truly believe that sometimes when you're helping others and you're not getting the response, that maybe you are the one who needs to change the techniques, the approach. Because by doing this, you learn so much more. You learn about, okay, I did not identify this button in this person, and now I have. And usually it helps you with many other people. And I truly think that the, the job that you're doing right now, and I really would love to, to, to have you here talking about sales management a bit more. Um, to for today, I think that to be able to tell people what is it that you do, even though you're going through this uh, ailment of yours and, and, and the demand that you put on yourself and, and, and yet the, the ability to give others, I, I think it's been a really a great sharing. Um, may I thank you very much for taking the time and being around here, Josh. Thanks for your time, Thomas. Appreciate right. it. Thank you.